Hello, welcome to episode 149 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. It's me, Stephen Hill, slightly bugged up. It must be download week because I've got terrible fucking hay fever and it's going to rain. So it must be download. Anyway, Renfrey Denman's here as well. Renfrey, how are you? That was made particularly funny for me because... Prior to this record, it's amazing, listeners, how Steve just turns it on at the drop of a hat, consummate professional, because the conversation that me and Steve had prior to this recording has been very downbeat and very low energy. Uh, so I'm amazed at how you turned that around. Well done. I'm very well. I'm um, I'm very happy for everyone who is going to the download pilot this weekend. Having said that, I'm fairly happy that I'm not going. I have to be honest. I'm actually going to see Orange Goblin instead um, over two Are nights. You? Yeah. With Ern. Yeah. Ern are supporting them, I believe. Are they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fucking great. I didn't. That's a great bonus. Um, they're doing two nights at the Dome uh, as a. Oh, the 25th anniversary, isn't it? Yeah, 25th anniversary of Orange Goblin. And yeah. I've been asked to review it for Metal Hammer, so I'm going to do that instead and be drier. Yeah, that sounds good, actually. Mm, yeah, I think it'd be fun. I've not seen Orange Goblin for yonks. You, no one said yonks for yonks. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying yeah. desperately to bring it back. Yonks. Oh, that's good. That is good. I'm glad. Anyway, yeah, be in a better mood than me. Let's put it that way. Good, good, good. I've got three drinks in front of me, so I'm, I'm having a great time. Three. One's a, one's a milkshake. What, what, one's a, one's chocolate milk. One's chocolate milk. One's uh, uh, a, <laughs> a fizzy orange beverage, and the other's a coffee. I'm having a great time. What kind of fucking mix is that? <laughs> it's a bit weird, to be honest. the The tastes in my mouth are all colluding together, and it's a little bit strange. I just can't have one thing at a time. But you know, hey, that's my oh problem. Oh dear, watch out, ladies. <laughs> uh, on the on this week's show, <laughs> not what I meant. Not what you meant, but <laughs> that's good. It's a good turnaround. Kind of funny. Anyway, on this week's show, we're going to be reviewing new music from Backwash, Bosk, Fear Factory, Sleater Kenny, and Machine Head. Uh, before we do go into those and all the other things we're going to be talking about, I want to shout out our Patreon pages. We like to do patreon.com forward slash right out podcast. If you'd like to sign up for £5 a month, you get two classic albums that we go in on every month very very in-depth and interesting conversations that we have on some of our favorite favorite albums we've just put one out this week on neil young's after the gold rush which was renfrey's pick although i have to say i was more than happy to uh, to to wax lyrical about that record ended up being just shy of three hours i believe renfrey it was two and a half two and a half two and a half yeah quite a long one mm. Well, they tend to be quite long ones, these ones, don't they? Well, and, and worth yeah. it, worth every minute. Of uh, it, I would say. I mean, this this was a uh, this was a this is a big record, big big record, and a very very important artist who we've spoken about a few times before. Um, but we've always, for one reason or another, dodged around his really good stuff. Um, and uh, I think it was about time that we paid Uncle Neil the respects that he deserves. So, yes. Um, and you know what? Like, this does happen quite often after we do our classic albums, but I've not stopped. I've not stopped listening to it. Like, I'm still... Like, last night, I was just watching uh, the Massey Hall DVD, um, like, at about midnight and just having a lovely time. So, yeah. 
we didn't even get a chance to mention that on the show. We didn't but actually, no. But which, but that is great. <clears throat> that is absolutely fucking great. That live album. Yeah, the Neil Young archives. I'm going to say team are really really good, as these teams usually are, um, and they've um, been coming out with some cracking bootlegs of late. Um, and yeah, the 1971 Massey Hall one is fucking flawless, more or less. It's brilliant. So that's out now. My next pick is going to be Closer by Joy Division. Although, as we explained on the end of the Neil Young one, because I really like a lot of Joy Division songs that aren't on any of their albums, I think it's going to be slightly more than just looking at Closer. We'll probably just look at Joy You could almost consider it a Joy Division special. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But that's what we're doing, Joy Division. Uh, so that's for £5 a month. There's a load of other classic albums up there already. I'm not going to go into which ones there are. I always say them every week. You can listen to an old show if you want to know. Or go onto the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash podcast to find it. If you sign up for any amount, you get access to our writers, reviews. We should be putting one up on Bauhaus very, very soon. It's been a busy week. Mm, yes. Haven't really got around to that yet. I'm not going to download tomorrow. I'm really snotty, as you can probably tell. <laughs> See, that was a little like snivel of snottiness was gonna uh, was gonna and, edit that out but you made that harder that's fine <laughs> <laughs> well i think people should know that i'm not lying about it no it's true. Say. so true. they can probably tell from the way that i'm talking to this <laughs> but uh yeah so we should be doing bauhaus asap uh but i i don't know exactly when we also i mean I, again i can't believe you've forgotten this steve my contribution but we also uh released our first special in bloody ages since february i think uh, well i was actually gonna bring come to that when we came to review the album actually okay but go on well i did an interview with tom begley from bosk uh and yes we are reviewing their album this week um and it was a bloody good chat did you listen to it i haven't had a chance to listen to it <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry. That would be good for the review. <laughs> well, I heard the album. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, I might have to fill you, fill you in on a few things. <laughs> yeah, you probably you probably will. I was gonna, I was at the start gonna throw to you going. Okay, here's it's a bit like the shags. You didn't bother reading up on the shags. <laughs> hey, you told me not to. Let's not do this now. Let's not do this on bike. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, speaking of the shags, uh, Broken Records on Mondays every Monday. Just put out uh, our search for the worst album ever made came to one of the most staggering places that it ever been to ever. Like I say, the Shags philosophy of the world. We put that out this week. And uh, yeah, the, the, I, I can't imagine we're going to get anything which is as wild as that on that show for a very long time. No, I quite confidently, when I was writing the blurb, the episode sort of description, I quite confidently said this is the most bizarre uh, sort of album we've covered on Broken Records and probably will remain so for the rest of time. It's absolutely, absolutely mad story, to say the absolutely very least. Absolutely mad story. And, uh, I, you know, I wish I could say it's going to, you know, be as mad as that every week on Broken Records. It's been a really good couple of weeks. Unfortunately, you know, the hat gives you what the hat gives you. The hat gave us the vines for this coming <laughs> Monday. So probably will be a slight drop in, uh, I'm not going to say quality, because we will go into it as deeply as we go into all the other albums, but there's not really a lot to say about the vines in comparison with the Shags or the True Symphonic Orchestra. So, you know. We've given you a few long ones recently with Broken Records. Um, I can't imagine the vines is going to be 
that long. There's not well, there's just not an awful lot to say. Well, the Vines themselves can't be bothered to write a song that lasts for more than three minutes on that record. So <laughs> I don't know why we should be bothered to spend more than about three minutes talking about it. To yeah, be honest. Exactly. So, but anyway, that is going to be coming up on Monday for on, on Broker Records. Do subscribe and go over to there because it's a fun show. Anyway, speaking of fun things, I'm not sure if this is fun or not or what it is, but Skin from Skunk Nancy is getting an OBE in yeah. the Queen's birthday honours list. Happy birthday to the Queen, I think. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's What is she, like 90-something? I'm not 94? sure. She's actually. in her 90s. She's yeah. old, isn't she? Yeah, she's old. She's old, yeah. and she probably has died like four times, hasn't she? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we anyway, can't confirm that. We don't know that. This is not a royal podcast, for any way. We don't know anything <laughs> about royalty, particularly. Uh, but... Skin is going to be an OB, an officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Huh. Um, <laughs> it takes it's an award. to be this cool. It's an award recognising her services to music. But I'm still just an OB. Come on. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Skunk and Nancy song. But instead of saying cliche, I said OBE. Because she's not so much skin. Oh, right, okay. I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> what album is that on? It's on the first album. It's from the song It Takes Blood and Guts to Be This Cool, but I'm still just a cliche. That's the title of the song. I forgot that song had even existed, to be honest. Oh, but dear. yeah, I sort of remember that. Well, that fell flat it's like a, a fucking long... lead balloon. Well, you <laughs> needed to pick one of the big ones. If you'd have gone, uh, but I don't want your OBE. <laughs> Dragging me down. Then that would have worked. And see, that is better. <laughs> that is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair play. It's a more famous song and it works better. <laughs> so uh, vote for me. Might be my um, favourite Skunk and Nancy song as well, actually. It's a good song. Yeah, yeah. She said, uh, not bad for a skinny black girl from Brixton who fell in love with rock and roll. I, I thought we'd mention this because it is unusual. Like, I mean, Skunk and Nancy haven't really done anything massive for a long time and it's good that uh, but, but they are great mm. and she particularly skin is fucking great and i just thought it was really nice that she has been recognized yeah uh, even if it has been quite a way past let's be honest their commercial and critical peak mm. Mm. but still i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people listening who don't really um care all that much for obes and royalty and yada yada, yada. and i mean i'm pretty I'm fairly on the fence with the whole thing really like I don't see it as a I, I do wonder like how much of an honor does skin see it as but then actually in terms of it being like a really good award for a prominent gay black um artist British artist I think that's it's a cool thing you know yeah. just just for that alone um it's something that should be uh championed and celebrated and encouraged i think it's true so congratulations to skin and it just gave us a good chance to talk about skunkanancy who who are mm. a fucking great band yeah yes absolutely really, really those great band. first three albums in particular but actually even some of the stuff they've done on their reunion has not been bad at all I, i've not yeah. liked any album in full as much as any of the previous three but certainly there are moments and there are highlights on those records which are as good as anything they ever did in the past so yeah uh yeah good for her and, and yeah a really good band if you're not familiar with skinkinancy really do go and have a listen to because i think they they stand up really well i think that, that those albums do you know Even what i couldn't remember one of the songs from it but I they stand <laughs> up quite well. um 
post-orgasmic chill, the third record, they introduced a lot of electronic elements. And it was 1999, I believe. And, you know, electronic elements in rock in the 90s usually dates very, very quickly indeed. But whack on Charlie, Big Potato, and that still sounds menacing as fuck. Yeah, definitely. Great song. Yeah. Great band. Well done, Skid. Um, Roger Walters has turned down Facebook after the company asked to use the classic Another Brick in a Wall Part 2 in an Instagram advert. Uh, Roger Waters said the offer came this morning with an offer of a huge, huge amount of money. And the answer is, fuck you, no fucking way. That's <laughs> as much as we know about it. I just wanted to bring this up because I thought... Um, He's I more mean, of a I Twitter like guy, isn't he? More of a Twitter guy, <laughs> yeah. More of a MySpace man. <laughs> Go on Roger Waters' MySpace page. He's still got his top friends up there. <laughs> Dave Gilmore's not one of them, obviously. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I really like, I, I like Roger Waters as a artist, obviously, because I really, really love Pink Floyd. Mm. And I think it's weird, isn't it? The days of people not using their songs in ads and stuff, and people. I think people are much more free to be able to go, ah, oh, fuck it, like just use it. And no one really gets on their back so much anymore. I saw an advert for On the Beach this morning with Iggy Pop. Hmm. And no one's ever given Iggy Pop any shit about that. No. And, you know, no. he's done the like compare the market. Was he, he did, yeah, before that fucking rat thing came along, there the beer cat thing. There was that, uh, yeah, there was that horrible Iggy Pop doll. In, was yeah. compare, oh, God, it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think people gave him a bit of shit for that at the time. But no, I don't think anyone gives a fuck, really. And I, I think it's kind of good. But I also like the fact that there are still artists who are like, well, you know what? You ain't using that. Yeah. No yeah. way. I think, um, I think people are generally just more clued up to how these things work. And let's face it, you know, the music industry has changed enormously to the point where to sort of turn around to a band now, if they are given the very rare opportunity of we are going to give you a whole shit ton of money and you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is give us permission to play your song. It's a no fucking brainer for an industry where bands do not, more often than not, do not get the money, the income in that they should be getting. I mean, it just, in this, in 2021, it just seems so churlish to turn around to any band, basically, and go you shouldn't have your songs on adverts or whatever. If that band choose not to, then that's absolutely fine. That's up to them. But to piss and moan about it in these days just seems incredibly naive, I think. And hence, not many people do. Yeah, people don't so much. But I do like the fact that Roger Waters is obviously not a fan of social media and yeah. not a fan of that particular thing. And yeah. I was like, good, good for you, Roger Waters. He's like, standing by his principles and I admire that. And a lot of people yes. who get to his age don't do that. That is true. So, yeah, fair play to him. Also, um, this feels like a story that was made for us, particularly. A couple of weeks ago, we um, we did the True Symphonic Orchestra, and then we also spoke about Vince Neil not being able to sing. And we did a little kind of, oh, who's worse? Do you mean James? Vince Neil... Do you mean James, James Lebray? Well, we did. We did. James talk about, Lebray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who's worse, James Lebray? Yeah, James Lebray. Sorry, sorry. Yes, Lebray. Lebray, the braying donkey that he is, or <laughs> Motley Crue's Vince Neil. Well, now 
we get to actually pit the two of them against each other because <laughs> James LeBray has guested on a cover of Motley Crue's only passable song, I would say, Kickstart My Heart, uh, with the Canadian prog rock stroke metal group Falset, um, featuring a drummer called Chance LeBray. LeBray, actually. He's called Chance LeBray. Um <laughs> But he's still the son of James LeBray, even though they have a different surname. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. I hope, I hope everyone gets these little in-jokes. I'm not sure if people do or not, but I find them funny. So. I do. This, this podcast is not it's for me and Renfrey to have good <laughs> fun with. It's not for you. Don't worry about it. It's just to make us laugh. Uh, don't care. Um... Anyway, so Full Set. Well, I'm not familiar with Full Set. Neither but, am I. Uh, but they've covered Kickstart My Heart. They've brought in their dad. <laughs> yeah, the most rock move you could possibly do. <laughs> <laughs> and I've listened to it. I believe you've listened to it as well. I have, yeah. What did you think? I what did you think of that? Fucking awful. Um, if we're pitting Lebray, uh, Lebray, Lebray. 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 Lebray is the singer, Lebray is the drummer. <laughs> if we're putting, pitting Lebray against Neil, um, I would give the title to Lebray because, it, I, I, in terms of you know the champion, um, because uh, well he's he's not um, a murderer. Killed, he's not a murderer, as far as I'm aware, and he's not admitted to rape in his uh, autobiography. So <laughs> you know, or his biography, I should say. Uh, must get the details right when it comes to that sort of slander. It's not slander. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, oh, God, I hate Motley Crue. <laughs> Have I mentioned this yeah, before? Yeah, fucking hell. We talk, we've been talking about Motley Crue too fucking much. <laughs> it's just, uh, like you, you said that this is one of their better songs. And like I don't feel like I even have a dog in that fight. But I was listening to it. It's almost five minutes long. It's a really long five minutes. That's like a two and a half minute song stretched to five minutes. And if that is among among their better works, like it's pretty, it's a pretty piss poor song, to be honest. I mean, you may disagree, but I, 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 I actually, I don't mind Kickstart My Heart. I think it's probably, yeah, it's quite catchy and all that. It's all right. I think I actually don't mind Kickstart My Heart. I think it's all right. It's like Aerosmith um, for simpletons. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. I, I, I don't really know why they did the big tech metal breakdown no. at the end of the uh, the song. That didn't make any sense to me at all. No, no. Uh, this is quite a bad cover. And I actually think, so here's where it gets difficult. Because I think if we're pitting recorded version against recorded version, I think Vince Neil sounds better than James LeBray. But... In 2021, James LeBray singing that song against Vince Neil singing it in 2021. <laughs> I think James LeBray would be better from all the evidence I've had. So I think what we're both, I think what we're saying is both of them just not really very good. No, no, not at all. Not at all. anyway. Here you go. Um, is that people wanted that? People wanted that on Broken Records. Just that song. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we could fill out a whole episode on that song, to be totally honest. And I don't want to listen to it again. So you know, that's fair. All right, let's move on. Let's do some reviews, I guess. And let's start at a place where, when you think, you know, there's um, 
it's a pretty big artist that we're covering this week. Pretty sizable artists that we're going to be talking about on this week's show. But we start, kind of arguably, with the smallest one. I think you actually brought up to me that on Spotify, Backwash is the artist we covered this week with the least amount of monthly listeners. Is that right? If you're going by Spotify, then yes. It, it, okay. it would be the smallest artist, yeah. But we are going to start with Backwash. I lie here with my rings and dresses. The third album from the module-based alternative rapper. The follow-up to last year's God Has Nothing To Do With This, Leave Him Out Of It. An album that made Mount Hammer's top 50 albums of the year. An album that won the Canadian Polaris Award, very much the equivalent of the Canadian Mercury Prize. And crucially, was in my own personal top five albums of 2020. That's the most so important accolade, isn't it? That is the most important <laughs> accolade of those three. So naturally, I was very, very excited to hear some more backwash. Uh, I don't want to go into it too much quickly. Renfrey, before I go into this, do you have anything you'd like to say or add to that kind of opening piece of contextualization from me um you brought god has nothing to do with this leave him out of it in um oh, it would have been a couple of years ago wouldn't it and a year last year shit was it last year fuck me and i um i definitely saw an awful lot of potential in what it was um, but I feel like it was quite similar to how I felt when I first heard Devil is Fine by... Oh my God, that's exactly what I've read. Oh, right. No way. That's unbelievable. I thought that was quite a weird comparison to make <laughs> between the two. But yet, and I was going to say, this might be a weird comparison, which people would have picked up on. And you picked up on it. So well done, Red. Well Green. done, me. Um, I just looked over Steve's nose. Um, no, uh, I, I think I think, um, I think there's actually a lot of comparison points with Devil is Fine, to be honest. Devil is Fine is a record which came along and was really exciting and interesting, but not fully formed if we're totally, totally honest, if you go back to that record now, there are stunning highlights on it and there are bits which are like, oh, this is fucking great. Um, but I think Manuel hadn't quite figured out exactly what Zealanada was. You know, that was, to all intents and purposes, that was a demo that just happened to hit really, really big. And then for the next record, uh, Stranger Fruit, they really kind of nailed what it is that they do. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think now they're even broadening out even further, which is amazing. This feels like the Stranger Fruit, uh, this album, to absolutely to to um, God has nothing to do with it. This, this is uh, Devil is Fine. Leave him out of it. In terms, in terms of the sort of um, leap, I think. I think I was excited to hear this most definitely because I thought there was so much potential. God has nothing to do with, but, but. For me, it wasn't like because it wasn't the finished article. I didn't feel like it was. Um, I, I didn't. I, did, I didn't feel strongly enough to put it in my top twenty, for example, because I was like, "This is good, but something else is better is going to come along." Um, and I think I'm objectively correct about that. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, I I think that there are people, and I can understand people who say, "Devil is fine" is an album that they prefer to Stranger Fruit by Zealander mm -hmm. because it is exciting when you hear something where you're like, oh my God, that's a real explosion of something genuinely different. Yeah. And yeah. that's how I felt listening to 
um, God has nothing to do with this. I was like, oh my God, this is like this amazing amalgam of all these different things, which just feels really kind of rough and ready and exciting and borrow so heavily from so many things that I really, really love. I think the difference is there are still people that will say Devil is Fine is the best Zilana album because it captured that moment. And I, I would never turn around and be like, no, 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 no. I, I mean, I do think Stranger Fruit is a better record. And I do think Zilana keep getting better and better and better. But I know there are a lot of people that think Devil is Fine is the one. That's fine. Um, I don't think anyone will listen to this record and go, God has nothing to do with this, is the best Backwash album. No. I think the jump is so significantly more that I think it's kind of impossible to argue that this isn't a far better record, personally. Yeah. I will say I suspected that Backwash might be some might be capable of something like this. But I didn't expect it would come this quickly. I mean, I thought it was two years. You just said it was a year since that last yeah. record. And when you think, I mean, the jump between these two albums is pretty significant. And the majority of the jump, I think, I mean, again, similar to Devil is Fine in a way, a lot of the problems were with sort of the sonics of it. And the fact that like the black metal elements didn't sound quite sort of fat enough and they sounded a little bit processed and basically sounded like exactly what they were, which was him recording every single part individually in a room by himself. Yeah, bedroom recordings. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think the jump between um, God Has Nothing To Do With This and this is a very similar sort of thing in that the Sonics, the most powerful elements of the Sonics on the previous record with the samples. And it feels like there's more of a deeper, darker, down the rabbit hole, I think it's appropriate to say, sort yeah. of um, Sonic palette, which is used on this, which is uh, more contemporary. Um, it feels really forward thinking. Um, it kind of, I mean, it has elements of clipping. You can hear their fingerprints all over uh, the album and and actually they produced Blood in the Water, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's that. I'd say similarly, you could also invoke someone like Chelsea Wolfe um, in some sections of this record. You could even approach the Zealanada school of thought, as we've already talked about. I think Nine Hells has shades of Perturbator. Um, I've got Perturbator down here. Ghostbane, Death Grips, um, black metal killing joke like there's a lot of things there's a lot of things on this well even closer burn to ashes samples godspeed you black emperor so i can emphatically yeah. say that this album has been influenced by post-rock hooray <laughs> and, and it has it definitely has um but it's got a real a much much stronger more hard-hitting more in your face sonic palette um, than the previous record, which feels genuinely contemporary and genuinely forward-thinking. I absolutely agree with everything you've just said. Uh, and I think we should probably try and get into it more. What I will say before we start is a few weeks ago, we reviewed the Bob Villain album, right? And we said it was pretty good, but they could obviously improve on lots of things. And there are a few people who weren't that happy with our assertion that that was true and i would say to those people 
Here's the proof. Listen to this. Yeah. Here is the proof. This is an artist setting the standards for someone like that to match, in my opinion. I agree. And I think even when you listen to God Has Nothing To Do With This in comparison with that Bob Villain album, there is quite some way for that album to travel to get to that point. Mm. But for for Backwash to make an album which was critically like adored pretty much, you know, Polaris, we fucking loved it. I think it got eight or nine in Metal Hammer. You know, I think like the needle drop gave it a really good review as well. Like there were loads of really good reviews for it. To not rest on your laurels and to come up with an album like this, mm. which is, you know, I've said it's like quite a unique record. I think there are parts of it that are really unique. It's not an entirely original mix. I mean, all the things that we've mentioned, um, I would say Uboa. I mean, I, I've actually spoken to, um, to her a few times and, um, I can even hear little bits of the the album which she told me about, The Origin of My Depression by Uboa, which is a really fucking dark album and not the sort of thing that you'd expect a kind of quote unquote hip hop artist mm. to be uh to be inspired by mm. in the main, you wouldn't think. Mm. But there is a lot going on here and it's the the black metal bits, the industrial bits, and there are almost some I don't even know what to call it, kind of tribal, almost voodoo-y sounding parts on this record, mm. which are fucking amazing. Mm. I mean, we get the opening track, which is called Purpose of Pain, which is a sort of intro track, basically, which, and even that is just a bloke saying the same sentence over and over again, being kind of slowly distorted, in the same way as you get a, like, sick by Slipknot, not sick, yeah. sorry, whatever, the zero, yeah, nine, nine, eight, seven, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, and then when it goes into Whale of the Banshee, which is an incredibly suitably named song, yes. you've got Surgery Head popping up on the first track as well, who's a, a kind of synthwave electro-industrial artist. And it's such a brilliant mess of rhymes and screams and industrial throbs and beats. And straight away I was like, holy shit. Like, sonically, the leap from the last album from there to here is so clear it's so fucking clear it It it, is a staggering jump it spews forth from the speakers whale of the banshee like it's so it's an it's a song that you it grabs you by the scruff of the neck and demands your attention um you could not put this on in the background as a passive experience at all particularly that song and the actual kind of um wailed well wailed isn't really right is it but the the really high-pitched sort of screamed vocals really reminded me of like gave up by nine inch nails or is it gave up i'm thinking of one of the songs happiness and slavery maybe happiness and slavery is what i mean um really really like huge that you know but in a really uh, really like outrageously well done way. Um, I thought there was a bit of youth code in there as well, maybe. Um, yeah, but it's just so new metal. <laughs> it's just so, like I say, a lot of the sonic texture and stuff in the last record predominantly came from samples. And you know, I think I think there is actually a fair amount of sample stuff here as well, but it also feels like there's a foundation that has actually been created 
um which is more kind of original sort of sounds and unique sounds and that that i think really elevate this album um above what we've heard before from backwash yeah and, and she's also there's not many people <coughs> in music at the moment i think that do that kind of really on the edge like i think like, to beat to give him his juice you know particularly in let live i think jason butler did those vocals where you're like you can almost hear him swaying like jumping around the studio you can almost feel him moving around the room yeah and she delivers these these rhymes with such like kinetic physicality mm. you can actually almost feel her kind of lurching towards you as she's spitting these these kind of these bars out and it's that is like i think again that is a massive step up the way she sounds as ferocious as she sounds on this record is fucking amazing and then i think i mean going from that song i was like wow that is an amazing start but to get to what i think potentially might be if not the highlight one of the highlights is um the title track with ada rook from the now defunct noise duo black dresses which is a full-blown industrial black metal song. Mm, mm, yeah. It's like something an Anathrak would do or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's I was like, holy great. shit, this is like a full-blown noise rock, like industrial black metal thing. This is not a fucking hip-hop song at all. Like, no. Do you know what I mean? It's amazing. I think, it, I think I'd probably agree with you. I think it probably is the best song on the record. Uh, the title track is absolutely amazing. And also, like, let's just ponder over that title a little bit. I lie here buried with my rings and my dresses. I mean, that's just like a really beautiful, poetic title. Um, I was talking about like great poetic titles not too long ago with Lana Del Rey and Chemtrails Over the Country Club and like um, how that's so evocative and so individualistic. You know, no one else has that title for an album kind of thing. Um, but the symmetry with a lot of the lyrics on this record, there's a lot of lyrics which are sort of self-loathing and um, I, I, I guess suicidal is is the, the only way I can really describe it. Um, and so that image of like lying somewhere in what I presume would be a coffin with rings and dresses and stuff, it's just a very poetic ev evocation of death and misery and all that sort of thing but really beautifully put i think um there's a real poeticism in the darkness yeah. of these lyrics and, the, and, and and which extends even as far out as the title the entire yeah. thing feels wrapped up in that morbid sense this of is dread. a this is a bleak mm. bleak record yeah like amazingly bleak and, and kind of you know we've spoken about shit like uh lingering nota or the drift by scott walker and how those albums are bleak and quite difficult well not even quite incredibly difficult to listen to i think the thing about this is is it it, it powers along with such propulsion and so much kind of like it spits its anger back on itself so hard that I mean, I would, I, I would, sort of, stop short of saying it's almost fun, <laughs> but it's such a catchy album. Like it's the sort of thing that you put it on, and for me, I like listen to it once, and I was like, well, I have, I have to listen to that straight away again, mm. you know. And I, I, you, you don't get that with something like Scott Walker. You just, 
No. You just wouldn't get that. No. But at the same time, you know, there's no thematically this goes to some really fucking dark places, you know. It, and I, I think it's amazing. I, mean, I think nine, you know, to, to bring up Night's Tales again, which is a fairly good comparative point for this record, like you know, the Downward Spiral or something like that. Yeah. You know, you can listen to the Downward Spiral. Downward Spiral was a really fucking bleak album, but yeah. you could listen to it like you could you could put on like Mister Self Destruct or something straight away again after or ruiner or something like after you know because yeah. they're, they're kind of catchy songs they're yeah. kind of enjoyable songs even though they're really fucking bleak and yeah sort of hopeless yeah i think there is a sort of um oppressiveness to this record one of the reasons i've i brought up chelsea wolf is because actually quite a lot of this record reminded me of her album abyss uh which came out oh god six seven years 20, ago 2015 yeah yeah, six years ago. Uh, we, and that, goodness me, that is a really oppressive record. Actually quite a difficult one to listen to. But I think yeah. Backwash, in a sense, has a cake and eats it because the tempo that she uses throughout um, is a very... It's that walking down the street and feeling like a wide boy tempo. Like, it's just... it's just, She's hit on a tempo which is um, just feels good. So there's this weird juxtaposition going on throughout the entire record in that it is really bleak and it is really oppressive. But the tempo of the album and the beats of the album are so kind of like just it just makes you want to move and it makes you want to move in a cool way, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's how she does it. I do have a minor issue related to that which i'll go into later on i think um okay but but yes uh, i think i think um i think that's how she achieves that and it's a very smart thing to do really well i works. think you've got songs like in the holy name which is fucking amazing so it's slow catchy the groove is unreal and then it just kind of vanishes with this massive noise freak out we, and i should mention if we're going in kind of you know in, in order of the record before that terror packets which again it's got a kind of nine inch nails creep to it and um sense of dialogue comes in and, and the kind of vocal trade-off between those two him bringing a kind of much more relaxed almost threatening vibe to her kind of almost untamed rantings lines like the hurt is keeping me warm i was like fuck yeah that's a really again like you know you 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 feel that very very acutely i yeah. think yeah um and then Blood in the Water, like we mentioned, produced by Clippin. Uh, this, for me, was amazing because it's less than a minute and a half. Yeah. And they do so much. They do. In that, in that in, in less than a minute and a half. Mm. It's got an almost sort of this, this 80s bomb the bass production style, but updated. And backwash screaming Blood in the Water over top of it. And then they do this kind of huge distorted breakdown in the end. And you're like, fucking hell, I can't believe that song. It's not like you're going, oh, it's outstanding, it's welcome or anything. But I am just like, how did you get so much into such a short space of time? It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's 99 seconds, that song. And, you know, whilst you are just talking about that song, you could talk about, you could say that of the album as a whole. This album is 33 minutes and it's, is it 11 tracks? uh it is i think it's 10 it's nine songs it is yes yes it's 10 tracks sorry um and um yeah in 33 minutes and by the end of it you are like i i do agree you could put it back on again straight away 
but you are also sort of exhausted because so much has been thrown at you in the past 33 minutes. Um, and it certainly, it crams an awful lot in. I think when I loaded it, I mean, I know the previous record was pretty short as well. The previous record was about 25 actually, wasn't it? But uh, I yeah, think. It was I, yeah, it was, it was very short, yeah. But um, it, it kind of, it does, it does work for what she does because you feel like you're getting double you know what you would normally get in that time anyway so it doesn't it doesn't cause a problem at all but i think everything you just said about blood in the water you can more or less trace out to the entire record as a whole i think yeah definitely yeah there is a lot a lot going on on this record i think particularly um we get to a song like song of sinners which brings Ada Rook back into it and also features the multi-instrumentalist and poet Sadie Dupree, a.k.a. Sad 13, which has got, you know, a lot of people do this, but you, I mean, you mentioned Perturbator. It's got a kind of sci-fi yeah. Blade Runner vibe to yeah. it. And when those dream pop <coughs> vocals come in, that is something, again, where you go fucking hell from like black metal to this mm. on a hip-hop record. Mm. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... it's um. It's pulling in from a lot of different things. I mean, we've mentioned so much already, so many different influences and artists, all of whom are brilliant as well. You know, um, there's no shine down on this record, you know. Um, the and greatest rock band ever. <laughs> the and then, you know, you get a track like 666 in uh, Lux, Luxaxa, Luxaxa, um, yeah. which even throws in a little bit of Ladysmith Black Bambamzo at the end you know yeah i didn't really know how to describe that song because i think i mean that might be the most interesting mix of stuff on the record yes because there's this kind of destructive electronic beat that comes in really hard and slow with the sound of this really kind of tribal call and th that is a genuinely unique thing i was like i'm not sure i've really ever heard anything like this before particularly and then when it stays there mm. as backwash raps on the track it's really really incredible mm. like awesome and really fucking unique yeah like, yeah. like that is really unique, that yeah. idea, I think. I mean, yeah, you could go, well, you know, Roots, but it's Ari on Roots or something like that by Sepultura, but they never brought electro beats and you didn't hear Max fucking roaring over the top of that shit, did you? So like, that was just putting that kind of thing, which is quite different anyway. If you listen to the two side by side, you wouldn't, you wouldn't make any blindingly obvious comparison points, I don't think. No, no. I, yeah, no, exactly. No, I don't think so. Um, but that is a great song. Mm. Yeah. It's a fantastic really song. Yeah. It's another, again, there's another minor issue I have with that, but I will go on to that a bit later once we've got okay. through that. Uh, just the last two songs, Nine Hells has got a bit of guitar in it and some sort of post-punk beats. Mm. Um, taking those sort of throbbing synths and letting her loose let her lose a shit over the top of it i think it's a really cool thing to add in by the end and burn to ashes i think again which closes the album might be another one of my favorites on the record yeah, i've put down it's like a mix between killing joke Kanye west and my bloody valentine yeah the flow is amazing the beat is brilliant the piano part that comes in is wicked and it's got this distorted guitar part in the background which is like shoegazy noise rock in the vein of something like sonic youth or my bloody valentine it's really fucking cool isn't that the godspeed 
sample you're talking about. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally agree. I mean, this is an absolutely fantastic record and it is an incredible follow-up and an incredible step up from what we've heard before from Backwash. Um, I've mentioned a couple of minor issues already. I'd like to stress that they are minor, but I think it would be uh, wrong of me not to mention them at all. And I'm very interested to know what you think of this because I do know that you love this record. Um, so I'd be curious to know what you think about these. I talked about the tempo and how um, she very, very cleverly makes this very oppressive record, but which still makes you feel good through its tempo. Um, I think as a result of using that trick throughout the record, the tempo of the entire record is almost the same. And I'll be totally honest, I didn't pick up on it that for a few lessons, but once I did, it was quite difficult to not realise that. I would say you brought up the downward spiral as another example of um, a record which is oppressive but also makes you want to move and I think that's a far more varied certainly in terms of tempo but in terms of most things I think it's a far more varied kind of record of course I am comparing it to the downward spiral which is one of the best records of all time so this is the league that we're talking about here so it's not it's not damning with two you know, strong an arm at all, you know, because we're talking about one of the best records ever. Um, the other thing I would say, whilst I think the length of the record is about perfect, there were a few times where I actually wanted her to explore some of the ideas even further. So the 666 in Lux, Lux Axa that we were talking about, the Lady Smith Black Bam Bam so bit, I think you're absolutely right. I can't think of anything else who has, anyone else who has mixed those things together uh, and made it sound that good. And I was a little bit disappointed that you get that coming in towards the end, that, you know, the all the choral male voices and all that sort of thing for about 10 seconds and then it just fades out. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea, which you've, kind of just thrown away you know and i almost feel like someone's gonna come along hear that and make an actual song out of it and make it better you know and considering she had the nub of the idea i think that's a real shame but if maybe there'd been a bit more confidence in going into those weirder areas like that could have turned into a monumentally brilliant song and the fact that it's thrown away within 10 seconds i think is a real shame and that's just one example. There's a couple of, of examples of that throughout the record where I just go, I get the fact that this needs to be short because of how impressive it is. But at the same time, you probably should have done more with that. You could have gone further with that. Um, sometimes I think she does absolutely go as far as she can with it, like the title track, for example. There's plenty of tracks on here that I think actually... Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. But there's a few which feel a little tentative when it comes to the really exploratory, experimental things. But those are my only two minor negatives for this record. I think overall, it's an absolutely fantastic record. Your thoughts on those? Uh, I just said? Uh, tempo wise i i'm like you i guess I, I hadn't actually noticed it but now you say that i'm like oh yeah i guess it is in a fairly similar 
tempo throughout the majority of the album. But I think because it's drawing on so many different styles and it's changing um, sort of sonically, it's changing so much so often. I don't really have a problem with that, to be honest, because to, I think... To, to be fair, you've actually summed that quite... Like, the fact that she's able to pull that trick off of the tempo being almost the same throughout and you not notice it, for, you know, on the first listen, is actually quite an extraordinary trick to pull off. So there is a glass yeah. half full and glass half empty way to look at it. It's just, now that I've noticed it, I'm like, ow. Oh, I can't. I think that. that's. I think that's the thing. Often, where I mean, you know, when when I sort of first started, I had, like I think I mentioned my mate at college who was really massively into hip hop, and I remember saying to him about I can't remember what we were listening to once, but I was like, the beats are f- sort of pretty similar all the way through, and he's like, yeah, but the beat kind of doesn't set the tempo, the vocalist sets the tempo, and I think if you start thinking about it like that, you're like, oh, actually, like she does so much that's so true. differently throughout the record that I guess I was focusing more on that than yeah and the fact that she does bring musically a lot to the table mm-hmm. um i think really really helps it but yes i suppose you could call that a criticism it's not a problem for me at all mm-hmm. as for the other um <clears throat> the other um criticisms that you had regarding the ideas being not quite fleshed out enough um from time to time not not from time to time yeah I, I I actually think uh, th- this for me feels like finally we've got an artist who's actually written some memorable songs from this. I mean, we've spoken about yeah, definitely. H- horror and Fever 33 and Scarlord and like a lot of people who have tried to mix this sort of stuff up. And we're always like, oh, if only, or like I mean, they're quite, someone like Nova Twins or Bob Villain really are quite different, but... But still, we're usually like, ah, they can't really write songs. And mm. I feel like this album has got songs. And I think for you and I, maybe more so you than me, you might want, like you say, a longer, more exploratory thing which delves into that kind of post-rock thing, that kind of <laughs> doomier, like more difficult area of music. Whereas for me, if you're writing songs where, I mean, I'm just going to get up how long each kind of song is or how long the longest song is on the record so the longest song is terror packets which is five minutes like it's actually it's quite a short album but it's not a, an absurdly short album i mean you know the title track is nearly five minutes terror packets is five minutes song of sinners is four minutes 45 burn to ashes is four minutes and two seconds so they're not short but something like way to the banshees two minutes blood the water we mentioned one minute 39 nine hells is um uh uh, nine hells is two minutes 59 just under three minutes um 666 in luxaxa is two minutes 39 yeah you probably could have elongated that out a little bit and explored it a bit more but i think actually the kind of brevity of this record gives it uh a, a totally instantaneous you get an instantaneous thrill from it when you first put it on you do, yeah. i think maybe if you went into those like trying to stretch this out i think there there's She's certainly, I think, still growing. Um, like, obviously, it's a huge, I think it's a huge step forward oh, from gosh. an album that I already really, really loved. I think mm. this is a, still a huge step forward. And I think it depends on what kind of artist that she wants to be in the future. Mm. I think she could write, I think she could write an album, all of the songs that are 90 seconds long. 
and make them all really, really fucking interested and stick enough stuff in. I, I, I think that is something which she seems to me like she's capable of doing. And you could go, oh, it's a shame because that goes away really quickly and it's not really there. But I think everything does enough for it to feel like this song is an actual song. Um, I agree up to a point. I mean, certainly the first few songs that you were naming there, the ones that are closer to the five minute mark, I generally think are um, more successful than than the the shorter songs. Um, I mean, just to say, I, I'm not sort of suggesting at all that I think she should elongate an idea like the Lady Smith Black Bambanzo thing to 12 minutes or anything like that just because you mentioned a post-rock and i thought i'm not saying she should become a post-rock artist but, but, <laughs> you know but that 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 would be like i think that's something that she'd be c- capable of doing i, I think she could you if know, she I, wants I think, to i think yeah. there are there are certainly artists in her wheelhouse that 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 have done that and that will try and do that but i think actually it feels like i i, I mean i'm sort of again a bit loath to word, use a word like use a word like bangers but I feel like everything on it is kind of, even though it's dark and oppressive and nasty, they're all still kind of bangers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I agree with you, and that's an amazing skill, and she's done that brilliantly. Um, I think, I, I, as I said, I just think there were a couple of moments on it where I really thought you could run further with that, and introducing something and then fading it out within ten, ten seconds to me. Um, doesn't show confidence in that idea um and we talked about um the jpeg mafia record a while ago two years ago maybe on the catch-up show and there was a lot of really inventive really interesting ideas on that that record but the thing that pissed me off about it is it never settles on anything and it was just so so like wild and going off in different directions and different tangents all the time you found a similar thing with the glitterer record and i don't think this album suffers as badly as either of those two records but there are occasional i will stress occasional moments on it where i think you could have explored that if you had explored that further maybe for 45 seconds rather than 10 and then fade it out that would probably have been a lot more interesting and probably would have been better probably i don't know but yeah yeah maybe but we'll see i mean i i think there's still you know, there's still improvements that could be made. But for me, this is, I like heavy music to make me go, wow, I did not see that coming. And this album does that. Definitely does all that. All the fucking time. Yeah. Throughout, um, throughout its runtime as well. Throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I think this is one of the most exciting, fantastic releases of the year. And I think for me, no doubt when it comes to our end of year uh, chart, this album will be right right up there right up there for Mm. me Mm. yeah so uh there you go um i lie here buried with my rings and my dresses is by backwash it is out now i would suggest that you get yourself over to wherever you consume your music and listen to this fucking great record. Uh, Let's move on again. We're not going to go to one of the big obvious bands at this point. We're going to go to Bosk. Uh, Their new album is called Migration. It's the second album 
second full-length album from the UK's premier post-metal band, the follow-up to their debut album Audio Noir from 2016. As Renfrey mentioned at the top of this, he spoke to Tom from Bosk on a special podcast that we did this week, uh, where he spoke about the inspiration behind the record. Renfrey, do you want to fill everybody, including me, in on what went down in that chat? It's a relatively long story, but I'll try to sum it up quickly. Um, this album started out for want of a better word, as a collaborative project, um, in the same vein as, say, uh, Neurosis and Jarbo, Emma Ruth Rundle and Val, um, Stephen Bosky. Colton Luna. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Julie Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, very much started off in that vein with a Japanese... Kylie and Jason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with a... Um, with a Japanese uh, noise rock band, I will call them for want of a better descriptor because it's really quite difficult to describe this band, but they're called Endon. And um, the there are, there are quite a few, I mean, immediately when you press play on this record, it immediately sounds quite different to Audio Noir, uh, which by the way, just to give a bit of background and context, is for my money one of the best records of the last 10 years. Um, certainly in terms of a debut, like a post-metal debut record, it's pretty much perfect. It's a fantastic, fantastic record. Narrowly missed out on my top 20 albums of the decade. Um, but it's immediate from the beginning of Migration that this is a slightly different thing and a slightly different journey. And certainly the first song, and quite a lot of this record, is what you might call ambient white noise which is not going to be something that makes lots of people go oh i really want to listen to that um but basically this sort of ambient white noise for want of a better descriptor if you can come up one with one that would be great because i don't think that makes it sound very appealing although i promise you there's actually something quite soothing about it in a weird way that was provided by Endon, and then Bosk wrote their parts over that. But um, basically, there was a tragedy with the vocalist of Endon. He passed away last year, and um, Endon weren't even sure what they were doing, if they were going to be a band or not, or anything like that. So they gave these soundscapes to Bosk and said, you know, you do what you need to do with them. That's fine. Um, so this is an album which has come under a lot of, there's been a lot of difficulties with it. Um, is also their regular vocalist Sam uh, was not able to be on the record either due to health issues that he has, and so we have um, there's only two vocal spots on the record and seven songs in total, um, but you've got Johannes Pearson from Cult of Luna, which I think is a very obvious choice. There's always been quite a lot of Cult of Luna worship in Bosk, and it, yeah. it makes sense. But just because something's obvious and makes sense, like sometimes you're just like, well, you've just got to get Johannes Person on a Bosk song, right? Like, because that's going to work. Um, and that's on Men Here, and I think um, it does unreservedly. Like, that definitely absolutely works. And then, of course, there's um, Josh McEwen from Palm Reader, who comes yep. in on HTV3 and gives i mean anyone who actually listened to the interview will probably already know this um but i think one of the best performances he has ever given on any song from any band um it might even be his best performance it's so just does so much in that song um he goes to so many different areas and goes 
you know, it's a cliche to say it, but it's like he does the quietest, most whispery stuff he's ever done. And he does almost like the loudest stuff that he's ever done. And it all is... I, I actually thought it was two people on that song. I didn't realise it was just Josh. It's just Josh. So that would give you... Yeah. And, and I obviously rate Josh very highly, but I didn't realise it was just him. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's it's a really astonishing performance. It's, it's my favourite song on the record, HTV3. I think it's an absolutely startling performance. And whilst it's, you know, it's really shit that Sam's not on the record and we hope he gets well soon, um, it has produced a nugget of something that is very, very cool indeed. And actually... You know, and again, I mentioned this on the interview, but I don't think um, Josh from Palm Reader is, was an obvious choice for Bosk's material. I don't know how you feel about that. Whereas Johannes is an obvious choice. I think Josh is less so. Um, were you surprised to hear that um, Josh was on this record or did, does that not surprise you at all? I, I was surprised because, I mean, I feel like Palm Reader are kind of perennially ignored by a lot of people but i think um bands probably bands like boskin obviously employed to serve and black people who you know bands that we like tend to appreciate how great palm reader are yeah, yeah so no sure. i actually wasn't that surprised to be honest okay. okay fair enough cool i was pleased i was pleasantly surprised i suppose i was pleasantly surprised if i was like to, to be like oh good someone's given josh a a slot really, but it didn't really feel like a weird like oh what a weird thing like, yeah. i didn't think it was that sure weird. sure 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 um we I we we're just going OTT, but it was unusual. It was unexpected, I guess is what I would say. Um, yeah, unexpected. Uh, I think when I first heard this record, I didn't entirely know what to make of it because so much of it is this kind of kind of languid, ambient, white noise stuff. And then learning about it and realizing where those things came from and learning you know some of the tragic circumstances behind it really not that we want to dwell on those too much but you know there is some some tragedy in the story um i think it really made the record make a lot more sense and i've been listening to it quite a lot over the past couple of months because i knew we were going to do an interview and all this sort of thing and and those parts of i, I think when i first heard it to me i kind of felt well, there's only really four songs on this record. If you take away the white noisy bits, there's only four actual songs. And you always you generally have to wait quite a long time for Bosk stuff. And initially, that was a little bit disappointing. But the more I listened to it, the more that those kind of electronic um, white noise sections, and they're not just that, they're also like Bosk do write music over the top of those things as well, and they really make it a whole. This album flows perfectly, you know, it's brilliant. Seven songs in 41 minutes, 45 seconds. They now feel like a vital part of the record rather than just these almost sort of interlude tracks. Like White Stork, which is the opening song, and one of one of the longer versions of that electronic noise thing it's fucking brilliant like i really love it in a really weird sort of ambient noise way like it it passed me by completely the first time i listened to it but now on my i don't know 20th listen or whatever i find that like an essential part of the record an essential introduction to the record and it's it's very clear that this is meant to be taken as a record as a whole um and is meant to be seen as an experience as a whole preferably on vinyl people will have to wait for that listen to the interview to find out why um but 
I think I really like and admire the fact, and it's not entirely surprising from bands like this because bands like this tend to do this sort of thing, but the fact that it is a record as a whole that really makes sense um, and yet you have all these collaborative elements that come into it, I think that makes it a really, really cool thing and a really interesting thing to listen to. You have not said all that much so far. I've just been letting you get on with it. I mean, I was about to, you were talking about White Stork and I wanted to just sort of agree oh. with how excellent a way to open proceedings it is because it does something which I guess, having heard Bosk, but, you know, I've heard Bosk and I've listened to Bosk before and I've seen them live about four or five times over the years, but I wouldn't particularly call myself like, um, not not a fan, but I wouldn't say that they're like a band that I pay loads of attention to they're a band that i'm kind of casually interested in mm -hmm. uh i didn't expect that kind of slow throb of white stalk that feels like it's about to burst pretty much from about 30 seconds in you feel like they're about to do the thing that boss do but it never quite does yeah and i i kind of loved that as a way to open your record yeah. it felt like such an amazing tease particularly uh, over five minutes as well like it's a really great way to tease it's, the opening of the record not, not, particularly not to put people off more but it's almost six minutes but and, yeah. and yet it doesn't like there's something captivating about it yeah and i thought actually particularly when we hear it going into men here men, which is yeah. a more kind of grooving powerful crunchier like it's the one with Johannes from Cult of from Luna Cult, on. Yeah. And I think they're really good at doing that Cult of Luna thing. And it goes far more into the type of territory that I expected this record to be into. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. Um, and I thought, wow, is this going to be the start of, you know, five more of these? But I was really surprised at how much more dynamic and experimental this record actually is. Yeah. I mean, you've got the next song, Itter, Itter which is... Yeah. Kind of an interlude, really. Yeah, one minute, 22. Um, yeah. And it just kills that kind of heaviness vibe down dead. It is essentially the kind of sound of static and rain, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And you have to really kind of almost squint to hear it as well. Mm -hmm. It's very, very quiet. And then when you do go into HTV3 with Josh, I mean, that is when I thought it started to really excel as a record i agree like yeah. really really by the end with the screaming guitars i counted four different rhythmic patterns going on at once yeah exactly which was like being in kind of some sort of spinning vortex and like that is it's i've written down it's kind of josh doing i i, I assumed josh was doing the louder bits mm. so i was like i i said a vocal trade-off obviously it's just doing the whole thing but it's almost this kind of floaty robot rock meets neurosis it's combined into some sort of psychedelic swirling yeah whatever and it's it's fucking great it's that it's, song. it's amazing that song and it's a really like you've i think you've summed that up really well what's well, a, a song that's very hard to sum up because it takes from so many different places. And yeah, all those polyrhythms that are coming in at the end, there's definitely a kind of... Um, I don't think HTV3 sounds like a tall song, but I think it's structured in a tall-esque way. I don't know if it is on purpose or not, but, but it feels like it builds from something subtly from the beginning to the end. And you're kind of like, I don't know how the hell we got here 
but we have got here somehow, <laughs> you know, because it's all so subtle. Um, it's it's an absolute masterclass, HT3, uh, HTV3, just a brilliant, brilliant song. And I think from then on, it doesn't really drop that much in nope. terms of the quality. I think this, this sort of, the, the, the kind of run to the end, you've got Kibo, which is again, very, very ambient, mm -hmm. um, but it works well in the sort of, the, the context of the record. Lyra, which is the longest song on the record, has got this tribal drumming thing, which is really fucking powerful. Like really, really fucking powerful. And then it ends the album with Unbirth, yeah. which is just such an unbelievably haunting, densely layered, slow agony. And, it, and when I say agony, it feels like every single note in that song has been agonized over to the point of like yeah. obsession yeah yeah, um, yeah it is a massive massive mammoth thing to end this record on yeah and by that point i was like fucking hell this is you know i i i like the sort of i like post-metal bands you know i like a lot of post-metal bands i love neurosis and i love cult of luna um and they are, you know, they're the ones that people mention all the time because let's be honest, they are the best ones. Mm. They are the best band at doing this sort of thing. Mm. Um, but there are some really good bands who do this sort of thing. And I was always like, Bosco are one of those bands who are good at doing that sort of thing. Are they ever going to be as good as somebody like Cult of Luna or Neurosis? I very much doubt it because that is such a fucking high bar to reach. Not any, you know, no shade on them whatsoever. I was just like, I can't really imagine how anyone could reach the heights of those bands who are that good at this thing and i don't actually think this is a typical post-rock album at all but that's what makes it get so much closer to the the very very best bands in this genre because it's not trying to ape them really i don't think it's trying to go let's see if we can do what neurosis do and w weirdly by not doing that they've ended up getting closer in terms of making a you know, uh, 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 through silver and blood than I think I ever imagined they could. I agree with you up to a point. But the one thing that I will say, even though, so Bosca are a band who have actually been around for a really fucking long time. They actually formed in 2005, released a couple of EPs and actually split up for four years in 2008 and then returned and then did their full length debut album. So Audio Noir took 11 years to come out, you know, their full length debut because of all of that stuff that was going on there. So whilst they have been around a long time, we have to remember this is only their second full length record. And I don't think Neurosis's second full length record wasn't as good as this. Neither was Cult of Luna's. That would be my argument. So I'm kind of like, Yes, while they are, while they have been around for a long time in lots of ways, they're a band who very much take their time. Um, and I think as a result, what is crafted from Bosk is something really, truly extraordinary. I couldn't take Bosk's discography and go, nope, you can have your Cult of Luna. I'll just, I'll have this one, please. You know, because, but the only reason I couldn't do that is nothing to do with quality. Because I actually think Bosk often do get to the heights of your Cult of Lunas and of your Neurosis, if I'm totally honest. The only difference is Cult of Luna have shitloads more records <laughs> and have done it more often because they've been doing it for longer. But the, the only thing that I will slightly 
slightly disagree with you on is I do actually think at their height, they are getting to go lunar levels. I mean, it may not sound like a very fair comparison because we are comparing an EP to an album, but um, that Cult of Lunar EP that came out earlier this year, I think is fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's great. And I don't think there's much in it, but I think I slightly prefer this by the merest slithers. I, I don't think I even slightly prefer this. I definitely prefer this. Well, there you go. I, I, I don't, so all I'm saying is I, I I probably have less of a you know I listen to this stuff a bit more fleetingly than you do yeah, I would yeah, say yeah so I'm not gonna be you know I'm, there's there's not a lot of room in my life for like loads of these bands and I guess Bosk was just one of those bands that I'd heard a few times I was like this band are really good but I just don't listen to this stuff loads and loads and loads and loads but I think I'll listen to this again. Yeah. Oh, it's a because fucking this great is, record. This yeah. is fucking great. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's a it's a fantastic follow-up. I love the fact that, you know, I loved Audio Noir. And in many ways, I <laughs> I loved it so much that I actually wouldn't... I would have been fairly happy with an Audio Noir part two, to be totally honest. But I'm also glad that they haven't done that because um, it shows that they have much more longevity and they're thinking much more ahead of the game than that um and this is just an excellent excellent follow-up to what was a brilliant debut um and i think yeah give it another 10 years um who knows people might be talking about um bosk in the same breath as neurosis and cult of luna and not just as bosk are influenced by but i mean who knows things move very slowly in this genre i will say so it might take 20 or 30 years <laughs> because things do move very slowly in this genre well it definitely took neurosis like a decade before they put together i exactly. think a really really brilliant record exactly exactly um bosk have been technically around 16 years but then at the same time you know obviously there was four years in the middle of that where they weren't abandoned blah 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 so um one little uh tease i will give i kind of said this on the interview but um tom very kindly sent me a couple of demos from the next record um this is something that boss fans won't be used to but there's actually uh, uh the the the, the third boss album is is in available in demo available it's not available <laughs> but it is there is a demo version of the third album and there's no reason to believe that it shouldn't be out you know within the next couple of years and um one of the songs that tom sent to me is the best boss song i've ever heard in my life wow there you go so get excited for more bosk i'm i'm excited now because this is a really very good record mm -hmm. it's called migration it's by bosk and it's out now now to something we've talked a lot about forward thinking music on the show this week uh hey angry metal fans get ready to get more angry <laughs> Renfrey says more metal is fine it's fear factory aggressive continuum the 10th studio album from the la cyber metal cyber metal pioneers the follow-up to 2015's genexus record which was kind of bum in the grand scheme of fear factory records i'd say um uh yeah you know fear factory um I love them. Yeah. I love Fear Factory. What a great band. I like Fear Factory. Ooh. 
Okay. <laughs> I like FIFA. I like Fear Factory. Yeah, yeah. I like Fear Factory okay, a lot. Cool. I like Fear Factory. I think context is everything on this mm. record, unfortunately. Uh, there's just so much stuff that frustrates me about Fear Factory. Going back 20-odd years, when Burton left the band originally, just after Digimortal had come out, and they decided not to leave, they sort of came back, and then they didn't do anything, they just split up. And then they came back with that Dino, and then they split up because the two albums that they released in that period, which were um, Archetype and Transgression, were rubbish. Mm. Um, they got back together without Raymond and Christian. It was always a bit messy, but they did have Byron Stroud and Gene Hoglund. Mm. And albums like Mechanize and The Industrialist. They were all right, weren't they? Well, both well, Mechanize in particular, I thought was fucking great. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Genexus wasn't. It was probably the worst of the three in the sort of that era's lineup, I thought. Okay. Now, though, from those lineup, there is literally only Dino left. They got a new drummer. A new drummer whose name is, uh, hold on, I will find his name. His name is Mike Heller. Uh, and, I mean, I don't really know much about him, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And Tony Campos, the bass player, has kind of come back, even though he's been, he's basically been in the band playing live for God knows how long. But Bertie Bell, on the kind of eve of this record being released, has left the band and needs to be replaced. At the moment, Fear Factory are a three-piece with two people who actually contributed to this record, Dino and the drummer. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't be too hard to replace someone who, let's be honest, can't fucking sing in Burton C. Bell. <laughs> someone who can't sing. It's Burton C. Bell for a long time now. And when I say a long time, I mean his entire career. Live, he cannot sing. He sounds fine on albums. Sounds good on albums. But he can't. But he, he sounds good on albums. But he can't sing. He can't sing live, unfortunately. Mm, mm, mm. So I don't know. It's just a fucking soap opera with Fear Factory always. Yeah, and one would expect with all this soap opera madness that um, a new Fear Factory album is probably not going to be all that exciting. I would imagine, wouldn't they? You L- would think a little bit like the last Static X album. Yeah, I guess I guess it's a bit like that, yeah. Well, spoiler alert, uh, this is better than the last Static X album. This <laughs> well, is not better. Like it, but it is better, definitely. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, it's one of the shocks for me, Renfrey. I put, I was getting ready to put this on. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, please. <laughs> because I don't want to slag off bands that I really like. You know, mm. Manufacture was such a massive album for me. I think Obsolete's Wicked as well. Soul of a New Machine is really, really good. Fear Factory back in the day. I fucking loved Fear Factory. I fucking loved them. And I don't really want to be slagging them off. And I am so happy that I don't have to. Yeah, yeah. With this record. I don't because think you do. No. This is a really, really good Fear Factory record. Yeah, yeah it's um yeah it's decent it's 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 um it's good it's i mean we've just talked about uh backwash which is an incredibly contemporary forward-thinking record uh this is not that this is very much did you like dehumanize well you might like aggression continuum (laughs) you know very much so um but you know fear factory do a thing they have their own individual take on the, I don't know, cyber metal. Oof, 
don't like that term at all, but I've just used it. Um, but they, it is very recognisably Fear Factory, you know, what they do. So yeah. in a sense, you only get that from them. I know there's other bands who do similar stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, strap a young lad aren't around yeah. anymore. The yeah. Sugar don't do uh, too uh, sort of... Fear Factory are always the sort of poppier, not poppier, but like they're the, the more kind of commercially accessible end of that thing. Yeah. And they definitely sound to my ears um great when they're making big fuck off baggers i don't think they need to try and do anything new and they don't on this i mean they, they, they've been writing about the same fucking you know your, your your oven's gonna attack you and your fucking your iphone is your new leader and <laughs> you have to fight against your fucking breville machine and all, all this crap for like God knows how long. Yeah. they're never going to stop. I, re I read. I read your Metal Hammer that. review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. that straight from my Metal It's very home, amusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, spoiler. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, it's like. But I have to say, like Recode, the opening song mm. has got some strings on it. Yeah, and it's got some trumpets and some brass. A bit like how kind of Behemoth used brass on the Satanist. I think yeah. a lot of people have done that since. And I mean, I didn't really see that coming. So it is Fear Factory. Slightly new flavour. Only on one song, admittedly. I, it is only on one song. That was the caveat I was about to throw out. I was like, when when I pressed play on the record, I was like, oh, this is a, a, a bit different. <laughs> and it is the orchestral flourishes and all that sort of stuff on Recode that make it, that it gives it a hell of a sort of pomp and bluster um sadly they are they sound very digital um but whilst i usually complain about that sort of thing to be fair it does fit the fear factory aesthetic quite perfectly it's like a robot army of synth players almost so um i actually didn't mind for once in my life the fact that they would sort of digitally digitally process and stuff like that it actually kind of yeah, that makes sense it. yeah it makes sense exactly so so i'm not going to moan about that too much um and the chorus is suitably epic it's uh i thought it was borderline power metal-esque in its grandiose melody um not yeah. not that i want to put people off because i don't but more in a sort of an alnathrax sort of sense than in a i don't know glory hammer sense or whatever but it felt yeah it, like oh look at you knowing power metal bands <laughs> i i don't know the difference between any power metal bands whatsoever i just named one <laughs> um but um yeah no that that is a really good way to start the record and to be fair um i think as the record goes on it doesn't then do anything new whatsoever but the version of what it is doing and the quality of what it's doing is relatively high throughout if you've not liked fear factory in the past there's absolutely nothing on this record that will change your mind don't even bother but if you did like Fear Factory in the past, I don't think there's any real reason to be upset by this record at all. I think this it's a, a really decent Fear Factory album, I think. Yeah, I, I, I actually like this far more than I had any inclination that I would. I would go as far as to say, not only is this a good 
Fear Factory. The, well, this is a very good Fear Factory album. There are points, there's like Disruptor, the second song. It's got a massive, mm-hmm. like, massive bounce to it. It's got a bit of that um, Edge Crusher vibe to it on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fuel Injected Suicide Machine yeah, is I like, like that one. it's been, it'd been plucked out of a Fear Factory random song generator machine or something. Like, but it does sound great and monolith. Chor- the chorus think, is I really is unexpected great. on uh, Fuel Injected Suicide Machine. The yeah. chorus is really huge. Um, Monolith is brilliant. The, the guitar solo on that song was very unexpected, but very welcome. Yeah, again, bit of a guitar solo. They don't do that so much. Yeah, Fear Factory. Yeah, and yeah. that sounds really good. I thought it was great. Um, Dino's riffs sound really great all yeah. the way through. They sound like Fear Factory riffs. Yeah, and that's kind of what you want. I think I've given up on the idea of Fear Factory being a kind of cutting edge futuristic yeah. metal band from you know who are looking at the, the 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 future that they talked about has come and gone and they're now in the past yes but, yeah yeah but true. i think because they are such a um i was gonna say unique band I, they're, they're such a you know it's fear the second you hear fear factory you're like oh it's fear factory I agree. The second you hear it, you're like, oh, that's Fear Factory. And their sound is so, they've like rubber stamped that thing. And no one else sounds like them. I mean, you mentioned Static X. Static X would probably be massively influenced by Fear Factory. They don't sound like them, even no. though they're trying to do the same sort of thing. No. Orgy and all those, you know, Paramount 5000, whoever you want to try to chuck in in the kind of cyber industrial metal filter, whoever, right? None of them sound like Fear Factory. Even Strapping Young Ladder, I think, are probably the closest thing Probably the closest thing to them, a strapping young lad, I would say. They're a lot more extreme strapping young lad, I feel, though, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So so even that. No, I mean, Fear Factory have a very identifiable sound. That yeah. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, they're not the most unique band in the world, but their identity is very strong. Um, and that identity is not pissed on <laughs> at all on this record, like it often is with records. This is a tenth full-length record, you know. Most bands of their ilk at this point in their career are releasing records that diminish the power of what they have done in the past. Maybe the nicest thing I can say about Aggression Continuum, and I do mean this as a nice thing, is this doesn't diminish anything that Fear Factory have done in the past at all. I, I'm just looking. I think it's the fifth best Fear Factory album. Okay, What's, what's your ranking? Demanufacture. Demanufacture, yeah. Obsolete, yeah. Soul of a New Machine, Mechanize, and then this. Okay. I think this is better. I prefer this to Digimortal. I think the Industrialist runs it fairly close, but Genexus, Mechanize, and Transgression, I think it's better than all of them. Uh, and I think it's better than Digimortal. So it's at least sixth. I would go, uh, it's a toss up between this and the Industrialist for fifth place. Okay. And I think I just would probably just let me have a look at the track listing for the industrialist so uh, you're smack bang in the middle of the discography yeah. basically that is very good i would say for an album you know for for about 10 albums in and with all the sort of soap opera stuff that they've had in the background as well i mean very very unexpected um here's one spanner i'm going to throw into the works you may disagree with this and that's absolutely fine uh as we mentioned at the top of the review you love fear factory I like Fear Factory. Um, I'm the sort of person who I reckon I only need three Fear Factory albums in my life, probably. Probably. And I'd probably go with the first three that you just mentioned there. 
Um, so would I get to aggression continuum very often? Probably not, to be honest. Um, but that is more down to how much I like them than it is down to... And how much you hate metal. Yes, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, go on. Sorry. Well, no, no, that was that, that was it. I mean, I'm, I, I think, I think, as as someone who doesn't love them but admires them and likes them, I'm not sure if I would go back and listen to this album very often because when I want to listen to Fear Factory, truthfully, it's demanufacturer or obsolete. Like I don't, I don't even, te- I don't even tend to go to Soul to Soul of a New Machine all that often, really. Okay. So, and you know. I don't mean that as a massive criticism. That's just that's just my taste and how I feel about it. If you love Fear Factory, I'm sure you probably would go back to this record. I would have thought, um, but yeah, I just I just like them and I think they're a decent band. I don't think you need. I said no one needs ten Fear Factory albums. <laughs> Absolutely no one. Um, but but this is you know clearly I'm I'm not as familiar with their back catalogue as you are. But I would have put it yeah probably fourth. Um, from the ones that I've heard. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Good. Wow. But I don't have loads more to say on it than that. Oh, no, apart, I don't really. Apart I from, really like it though. Apart from to ask you, so this is Burton C. Bell's last album with Fear Factory. Let's just assume it is unless he comes back again. Yeah. Do you want to see another album from Fear Factory without Bell on the basis of this album? That's what I wanted to ask you because because i'm interested <laughs> okay <laughs> i could be interested it's fine uh yeah i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. very disappointing answer <laughs> well it depends who it is i mean if it's going to be the bloke from bad wolves stephen hill then i could probably do that <laughs> without my hay fever i think you could do a better. i think with your hay fever you could do a better job than burton c bell's been doing the last 20 years uh live can't tell me apart can't tell me apart can't tell me apart. No, you can. We'll see an end to the dream. Well, I never seen an end all my life. I felt discarded, never being a part of it. No, you. No, you can. Dyke. No, you. <laughs> and then some vibrato. There's my audition. Send oh, it good. off to Dino and the boys. Okay, cool. We'll what do, do you that. reckon? Yeah, well, I, I think you're. How sharing. much of that are you going to cut out? <laughs> um, oh, we'll see. <laughs> I probably won't cut out. <laughs> <laughs> probably won't cut out any of I don't know. Who cares? Shall we move on to Slater Kinney? Yeah, Fear Factory. Um, Aggression Continuum is out now. It's really good if you like Fear Factory. Mm, yeah. And it's really quite good, even if you think Fear Factory are all right. I like him, so I really like that record a lot. I don't know. See you later. Uh, Sleater Kinney, Path of Wellness. The t- again, the 10th studio album from the alt-rock legends, a follow-up to 2019's The Centre Won't, Won't Hold, which we reviewed in this podcast. And I wasn't overly keen on that particularly uh, because I'm not really that much of a fan of Sleater Kinney. They're just, again, a band that I've never really been into that much. But I know you are a fan of them, whereas I just like Carrie from when she was on Portlandia. (laughs) So I feel like this is much more your sort of thing than mine. I love Sleater Kitty, yeah. And I'm really familiar with their back catalogue generally. And I think they've made some... They're so often um, put in with um, a lot of bands who just aren't as good as them, to be honest. Um, 
And I think as a result... Went quite Christopher Walken then, do you know? <laughs> I didn't really. Yeah, put him with a lot of bands that just aren't as good as them. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, and I think the reason for that is because I th- they were thrown in with that whole sort of Riot Girl movement. And, and I think people, when people think of Sleater Kinney, they think of angry, young, feminist women shouting. And the early part of their career there was a fair amount of that but they have really evolved and really changed mostly very successfully i should say as well between their albums and if you go through their discography as i did quite quite recently actually because i read um carrie brownstein's um memoir quite recently so i was just sort of going through the yeah. records as i which is a great memoir um Oh, Hunger for a Modern Woman. I think that's the title of it, but I might uh-huh. be getting that wrong. It's fantastic. You should read it. It's brilliant. Um, and and I was going through this discography and it really is quite broad and quite different. I will say, though, The Centre Won't Hold was the biggest leap that they had ever made, probably. And so it was a weird first Sleater Kinney record for you to go in on because I remember during that review... Being, I I liked that album, but I feel like you almost needed the context of the previous records to understand just what a leap it was and what. I mean, I certainly think that you said you listened to it and you were like, "This isn't what I was expecting them to sound like." No, no, it wasn't. At all, um, no. And and that's because that's not what they sounded like before. <laughs> you know, it's very very different. It was so different. I mean, this is reading between the lines a little bit here, so I might have got this wrong but obviously janet their drummer who had been with them for 20 odd years a long time left um just a couple of weeks before the center won't held uh hold came out and the impression that i got reading her statement and reading between the lines is basically she left because they were going in a direction which she just didn't feel was Sleater Kinney anymore. Um, and she didn't feel a part of it. And, you know, look, I can understand that totally. And and it's a shame that she's gone because she's a great drummer. But, you know, that I, I, I do I do understand that because the leap was so big. Um, I think Path of Wellness sort of carries on the sound that they had from The Centre Won't Hold while still bringing elements of Sleater Kinney's identity in from what they've done previously. Um the way that Carrie and um, oh, this is embarrassing. I'll do that again. The way that Carrie and Corin play off of one another, both vocally but also in their guitar lines, is something that has always been intrinsically really, really important in Sleater Kinney's discography as a whole. Um, it's quite difficult to describe how they play over one another but it's in a sort of weird way where they almost sound like they're crashing together with one another um almost quite violently and yet they allow enough space for each other's guitar parts to breathe it's definitely something which is easier to get if you listen to it rather than try to describe it as i'm trying to do here and not very very well i have to admit um But I think what's nice about this record is whilst, you know, clearly they wouldn't be able to make a record like this without doing the centre won't hold first. I think they've brought a little bit of that kind of um, clashing Sleater Kinney 
aspect back to this record and it's the the sonic palette of it is a lot of it's quite clean and, and neutered and this doesn't feel like a punk record solidly uh sonically but it does aesthetically and in, in its approach i think that's fair to say what are your thoughts on that i quite like this record i hey. definitely feel like i like this more than i like the last one that's good um there's some kind of Queens of Stone Age meets Yeah, Yeah, Yeah sort of thing on the opening, the title track, which I think is really good. Got a really good drum and bass part on that. Drum and bass rather than, you know, it's not Ronnie size. It's not what I mean by that. But, I, I, um, I will say this very, very quickly. When Path of Wellness came in, when I first listened to it, the, the title track and the opening song, I was really disappointed. Um, and I, I didn't really like it much at all. I, I like it more than I did. Uh, I like it more now than I did when I first heard it but I would still probably maintain that it's probably my least favourite song on the album. Yeah, well, I actually do like it when they get into the kind of... The next song is the kind of Blur and Elastica yeah. sort of thing, uh, which I really like. And there's like Worry With You reminded me of a kind of jaunty version of Pavement. Yes, um, yes. Method's quite jaunty. Yeah. Favourite Neighbour, I think, is really good. Kind of a, like a, it's like garbage if you took all their electronics away. Mm -hmm. uh, Down the Line's really cool as well. I think it's got a really good chorus. Yeah, I don't have loads to say on this record. I think it doesn't really do anything that feels that new or unique. Uh, but then 10 albums in, I don't think you would expect a band to do that, whether it be Fear Factory or Sleater Kinney. Um, but I definitely well, I, do I prefer will it to I, the last one. Yeah, I will say... No, I don't think there is anything new or unique about this record. I don't think Sleater Kinney have ever strictly done this. Um, but yes, I think that's a fair, it's probably a fair thing to say Like overall. There's a sort of, um, there's a couple of songs that you haven't mentioned, and I'm not sure if that's on purpose or not. But um, my two favourite songs on this album, there's Shadow Town, which is like five minutes in length. And it's got this sort of clean fugazi latter day fugazi feel to it um which i think they do really well i mean i think they would have grown up with a lot of those bands and stuff like that they were they were washington weren't they no the seattle one we're talking about um but you know i'm sure fugazi would have been a part of their lives and um that that totally reminds me of stuff like end hits and the argument and things like that you know i really really like that but also complex female characters i just think is a really wicked song i really really yeah like that that's song really good as well um, yeah i I, I, yeah there's definitely i mean i was going i i think i mentioned pavement and i would say because it's a bit jauntier and almost got like a bit of a smile on its face this record it feels a bit sunnier yeah that always reminds does. me of early beck or pavement as opposed to something like fugazi which is quite serious i don't feel yes. like this sounds like a particularly super serious record i mean when i mentioned stuff like elastica and blur and there's a jauntiness to this record, which maybe might make it sound a bit trite. And I don't mean it to sound like that because I don't think it is. But I think there's a sort of, it's got a sunnier disposition than something like Fugazi or, you know, the kind of early emo discordy bands. That's true. I think. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with that. I think that Fugazi element is in there. But yeah, I think that's an important distinction to make. It does I think musically, yeah, but breezier yeah definitely but yeah, yeah it's a little bit breezier and that's cool but yeah you know this is very this is decently made wiry alternative rock with um yeah just some really great choruses on it and some you know quite interesting 
stylistic compositions on it, which reminds me of lots of things that I like. Super Fairy Animals I've written down. There's quite a lot of British stuff, actually, that, it, that I've written down here. Mm, mm. You know, there's actually a fair few. I mean, I've already said Elastigirl Blur. I've also just said Super Fairy Animals. Um, yeah, there is a fair bit of almost kind of Britpoppy stuff. Yeah. on it that I quite like the kind of more interesting Brit poppy stuff I thought Gar- I mean, garbage British I don't really know but you know I mentioned garbage as well but yeah so um, I, I wasn't really expecting that so much I think that's the thing like Sleater Kinney do just whatever they want to do and and I think they are a band who often people think of them as just being one thing but the thing that they think of them being was something that they were like <laughs> 25 years ago <laughs> you know like it's a long time ago now um and they kind of abandoned that stuff and, and had done for quite a long time um and i and i really like that and i admire that about them you know whilst we are talking about another band on their 10th album sleet kinney's back catalog compared to fear factory's back catalog i mean it's a completely different career choice that they've made they've gone into totally different new things and i really like that and i admire that and for that reason alone um, I admire and like this record. Um, it wouldn't be super high on my favourite Sleater Kinney albums list. I would have thought I'd put it around six or seven. I've not properly thought about it yet, but that's kind of my general feeling with it. Um, maybe if I had it a little bit longer, maybe it'd go up a bit higher than that. But I do like it. And and unlike, even though it's quite it's lower than where I would have placed that Fear Factory album. I'm actually more likely to listen to it because there are things that Path of Wellness do that Sleater Kinney have never done before. And that's not the same with Aggression Continuum, apart from those yeah. odd bits and pieces here and there. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't really know about that, but fine. Um, cool. All right, good. Well, there you go. Path of Wellness by Sleater Kinney is out now that actually came out last week before we go one other thing that came out last week yes uh is a three track ep from machine head is it an ep i'm not sure it's basically some non-album track singles that have been released together they're calling it a single um and i suppose in the old school sense it is a single um this feels like an ep to me because this doesn't feel like one good song and a couple of b-sides uh i'd say the quality is um consistent throughout i would say Yes, and also the title track of uh, <laughs> of said um, single is actually the third track, yes, which doesn't, track, really yeah. make, doesn't really make much sense if you're yeah. going about it that way. So anyway, um, yeah, new, new material from Machine Head have been fairly prolific in releasing new material uh, since their 2018 album Catharsis came out. I love Machine Fucking Head. Mm-hmm. So do you. Yes. I am a little bit like... Oh, God, here we go. Every time I press play on new material from Machine Head at the moment, because I don't rate Catharsis at all, to be perfectly honest. I've learnt to approach Machine Head singles in particular, I will say, with an air of caution. Um, Yes. It may well be their most popular song on Spotify, and it's maddening that it is, but is there anybody out there is not the style that I personally want to hear Machine Head play in my opinion. It's just not what I want from Machine Head. You mean it's rubbish? Yeah, it's crap. It's uh, a crap song. It, yeah, it, it's rubbish. It, it, it's, um, it feels... And, and Rob kind of admitted this, so I will give him credit for that, but it feels like a band who are vying for radio attention. 
and going, how do we water down our sound enough to get onto radio, but not so much that we uh, we piss off our old fans. And like, I mean, the stats annoyingly kind of, it's one of those annoying examples where the stats show that it kind of worked because it is their biggest song. I imagine it's just been put on lots of playlists or something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you go on Spotify, it's actually their biggest song. But I actually genuinely think it's one of the worst Machine Head songs they've ever yeah, I agree. <laughs> I it think is, it's rubbish. It is, it is proper crap. Um, so I approached this with an awful lot of caution, I have to say, because I fucking adore Machine Head. I fucking love them. And so when Machine Head do something that I don't like, I didn't dislike Catharsis as much as you. And I think it actually has some really good stuff on it. It's just absolutely chock full and it's got a ridiculous amount of filler on it at the same time. Um, like an insane amount. Um, but uh, I can't say that of this at all. I mean, it's a hell of a lot shorter than Catharsis. Uh, it's 15 minutes and 42 seconds. But I was really, really pleasantly surprised. And I can say that with absolute, um, like, this is undoubtedly three of the best songs Machine Head have released in bloody ages. Well, probably since Bloodstone really and Diamonds. Probably since Bloodstone yeah. and Diamonds, I would have thought. But yeah, definitely. First song become the firestorm, and it got me immediately. I was like, "Oh my god, it's a blackening style rager." Got those kind mm. of classic squeals from Rob Flynn um, on guitar. Not in his, he's not like <laughs> like you see the mouse or something. Um, <laughs> but it's got this level of pace that I haven't heard Machine Head have for a, for while. a really, really yeah. long time. It's totally. been a long time since I've heard Machine Head go fucking fast, totally. and it was great to hear them go fast. And the breakdown about halfway through was absolutely crushing, yeah. brutal. It's five minutes with a bunch of stuff going on, riff salad. That's what I want Machine Head to do. Exactly. They do that so fucking well. They do it better and than anyone on the like when they decide to do that. They do it better than anyone else on the planet right now, to be honest. You know, and I know that Rob's fed up of people going, "Oh, the Black Thing, the best album of the 21st century," blah blah blah. But when they do that, they are unbeatable. They are the best metal band in the world at doing that thing. Um, yeah, very good you know and rotten again the second track sounds like it could have been lifted from burn my eyes or the more things change yeah, yeah. it's that kind of era it obviously i mean you know machine Head obviously have a sound and mm. there will be a bunch of stuff always in most of their material which marks it out as machine Head. but they have done a whole bunch of stuff that has just expanded that you know that's expanded over on that you know at least over the last decade i mean you mentioned is there anybody out there that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about here but i was just really happy to hear the big classic machine head same same classic yeah. machine head like yeah. really really cool fucking song it's a classic machine head song really good it does feel like you could fit that song into that era of machine head and not many people would even bat an eyelid like you know it really yeah. really works it's a fantastic fantastic song and then you've got the title track itself which is a guess a kind of descend the shades of night burning red kind yeah. of thing more experimental melodious kind of thing when it started i'll be honest i did think well this could go either way yes same. dark you, i know you're not that keen on darkness with him but mm. i think that's a good song mm -hmm. i know you don't I th you might think it's a bit cheesy or whatever mm. but i think that's a great example of them doing something like that quite well um but they've made i think some kind of 
pretty poor songs of that ilk, like Bastards yeah. on the last record or whatever. Um, I think that's the weakest song of the three, personally. Okay. But? Yeah, but it's okay. Uh, it goes into this sort of dirge part at the end, which I think really saves it. There's this almost kind of glam style solo, like kind of glam rock solo at the end. I was like, well, I don't know if I need that particularly. Mm. Um, so I think it is the weakest song of the record. I think it kind of takes a little while to get going. I think when it goes into that kind of really dirty part in the middle, it's really, really good. Mm. I think there is good stuff on it, but I think overall it's kind of bookended by stuff which is not as good as what's come before it, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, I think, and you obviously, you almost certainly disagree with this, but I think it's probably the best, what I'm going to call a machine head ballad, quote unquote, they've written since probably Descend the Shades of Night. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe, actually, would you count, oh, track four on The Blackening? What's it fucking, Now I Lay Thee Down as a ballad? I'm not sure, I don't think that really is a ballad, actually. So, no. Not really. Um, so, yeah, so I think it, I think it's the best, ballad isn't the right word either, but, you know, stripped back, slightly more acoustic-y before it goes into a heavy bit kind of thing. Machine Head song they have done, yeah, since Descend the Shades of Night, which went to that. 2003 fuck for almost 20 years <laughs> um i don't like it as much as the send the shades of night or the burning red which are the bullseye for me when with machine head doing that style um but but i do yeah i do prefer it to darkness within and bastards and uh is there one on bloodstone and diamonds i don't think there really is one on bloodstone and diamonds not one that springs to mind no. is just anything worth yeah but yeah, this is, I think okay. overall, this is a really good EP. And, and I approached it very cautiously indeed, I have to say. And it really surprised me. I thought it was great. The first song on the album, um, I think I agree with everything you say. I think it's brilliant. There are clean vocals in the um, chorus, which I'm assuming are done by Jared. That would be my guess, the bassist. And yeah. I think Jared's... Um, I mean, apologies if it isn't Jared, um, but I think I'm assuming it probably isn't. Um, I think Jared's um, harsh vocals, the screen vocals are brilliant. Um, I'm not totally convinced by his clean vocals, if I'm totally honest. I think he's got quite a weak sounding voice, if I'm totally honest, which is not something that I take any happiness in saying because it's sort of a personal thing. It's not personal between me and Jared. I've never met Jared. But, you know, I'm saying <laughs> Fucking hell. I feel like I'm fighting. No, I don't want to fight. I'm just saying I don't think he has a very strong, clean vocal, if I'm totally honest. And therefore, it was uh, um, an intre- a, 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 a strange choice to make because he, he has a very prominent part in the chorus. That's a very nice thing for Rob, do, Rob to do, to give that to him. But I'm not sure if it was the right choice, if I'm totally honest. Okay. Yeah, I... I... I didn't really notice that, to be perfectly honest. Oh, okay. Honest, you know, <laughs> Maybe I'm just being fine. a cunt. Who knows? Yeah, he's slagging someone off. <laughs> you see a personal beef with the bass player from Machine. She seems obviously. very nice. You know, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I fucking love Machine Head, and I think this is great, and I think this is the best thing they've done by far since Bloodstone and Diamonds, which actually, amazingly, was only two records ago. Um, but uh, things don't it quite... It does feel like they've released a lot of stuff since then. Yeah, it does. And I think this is by far... The best thing they've done for a really, really long time. I would like, I would like them to start releasing albums again. I know Catharsis was a bit of a 
all over the fucking place and was very um, up and down. But, you know, Machine Head are capable of releasing great albums. This is obvious. They've done the blackening. The more things change. Burn my eyes. Uh, did uh, Not to send the shade of the night. Through the Ashes of Empire. You know, they are capable of writing great records. So just because they've done one, two, if we include... Um, Meshuggah? Uh, was that what you were saying? No, I was going to say Machine Head. <laughs> um, bulldozer, super... Bulldozer, supercharger. Supercharger. Um, you know, they, they have a far higher hit rate with albums than not. So whilst there's this thing of like, oh, I feel like I've been burnt by doing an album, blah, blah, blah. Go back to doing... Like, I much prefer... I would much, I'm much more excited by an album by Machine Head than an EP by Machine Head. But... I'm super, super happy that at just shy of 16 minutes, I think everything on this is great. You know, like I, I, I really like, really like every single song on this EP. It is very good. It's a lot better than I expected it to be because I have yeah. been, like you say, quite hit and miss. And I'm with you. I would like an album. I just think if you sit yeah. down and try and write an album, you're more likely to, you know, 10 tracks from Machine Head again. Like, it's yes, been a while exactly. Just a sort of 10 track album. Even eight would be fine, yeah. you know, like the back of the black and it was eight, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, come on, lads, you can do that. Stop trying to be you play festivals again as well. Just do the thing that everyone just be like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with them not playing festivals, but yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh okay, Arrows in Words from the Sky by Machine Ed is out now. We'll be back next week with Eamon Ra and Earn and some other things. Um I'll talk about download probably because I'm going to the pilot. Oh yeah. If you like don't have to but i could do i suppose <laughs> just gonna be a really long a review essentially yes yes it probably and then will be, be moaning about and then be moaning about i didn't like the rain that'll be that'll be it so fantastic a were good and i didn't like and i didn't like the rain so there you go that's uh next week's download review well that's we'll see you then to look forward to isn't it it is yeah. definitely it is all right good okay thanks very much for listening guys we will be back with Amin ra and others next week bye now <laughs>